0: chapter six of against odds by laurence l lynch this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter six a criminal hunt now i had told the officer in command my belief and suspicions concerning the counterfeit business which i believed was going on about us and had been told that two of the counterfeit bills had already been brought to his notice and captured within the week and dave had insisted upon his hearing the story of my absurd arrest by the guards and now it only needed a look from me and the sight of dave's convulsed face to make the situation plain to him he stepped forward but before he could speak a new thought had darted into dame camp's active mind la she finished i s'pose come to think he's been brought here now to be tried ain't he with the shadow of a smile upon his face, the officer turned toward the farmer. What is your complaint? he asked courteously, and he shot me a glance which I knew meant, let him tell his own story. And now, being authorized to speak, Farmer Camp began to tell, in his own homely way, the story of the greenback swindle, as he termed it. When he had reached the point in the narrative where I made my unlucky attempt to rout the swindlers, He turned toward me. I've had an idea since, though my wife didn't agree with me much, here came an audible sniff from Mrs. Camp, that this here young man might a meant well after all, and we was a little might hasty, but you see, he'd been a looking at us so long, and my wife'd been a noticing it, having her mind kind of sort like on confidence people and such, that she felt kind of uneasy at his sharp looks. They were so keen she said and so quick to look away she got nervous and said she felt as if he was a looking right into my pockets There now camp you needn't be a uh, excusin' me. I stick to my ID Anyone can see that the young fella ain't innocent else somebody had a spoken for him for off. Here Dave exploded audibly and the officer checked her with a motion of his hand let me settle this point at once by telling you madam that the gentleman you have accused is an officer high in his profession and sent here to protect the public and look after criminals he had but just arrived and it was because of this that he was without his officer's badge which would at once have put those men to rout had it been worn and displayed to them let me tell you now to prevent further mistakes that the detectives upon whom we rely in greatest emergencies are always to be found in citizens clothes and they are not likely to display a badge except when necessary Long before the end of this speech consternation was written all over the face of Adam camp But his wife was made of sterner stuff and when her better half had stuttered and floundered half through a sufficiently humble apology directed of course toward myself She broke in upon his effort no wit abashed there camp It's easy enough to see how we came to make such a mistake And I'm sure the young man will bail no malice toward a couple of folks old enough to be his parents Twas them sharp looking eyes that set me to notice in you. When you was a looking over camp first off down to the administration building And when you went and sat down on the settee by him and then got up and followed us a fur What was I to think you was a watching us sure enough only you meant well by it but land sakes! In such a place where everybody is trying to look out for number one, I did what looked my duty. I'm willing to ask your pardon, though, and I ain't going to bear no malice. Overwhelmed by this magnanimity, I murmured my thanks and complete satisfaction with her, amende honorable, and tried to turn the occasion to such profit as might be by questioning the man a little. You were saying that you changed a bill or were about to do so. Did the man make any difficulty after I left you no sir He seemed in a kind of a hurry and made out to be uncertain whether that he could spare so much small money as he called it But finally he counted out a roll of bills and made me count them after him There in the crowd where you stood Well, no he took us to one side a little right in behind the place where the little man was a selling canes Sort of up against the partition and there we made the dicker And he left you right away queried the officer in charge yes, just about as quick as he could and The other I asked the man who took you to this agent the man with the large Sabbath school class Oh He asked us to go to the terminus station with him and see his young men But my wife wanted to see things and we just went as far as the door out of politeness And when did you discover that you had been swindled? Well maria wanted to ride in one of them coopy things with a man boss behind and before and when she got ready to get out Which was pretty soon I give one of them fellers a two dollar souvenir bill and they made a great jabbering about it and Maria says, says she I guess they ain't got the change so I fished out some pennies and a dime and two postage stamps and after a bit They tuck em and waddled off then we got to looking up and down and we didn't have no more occasion to use money mriah was so busy seeing the folks and, and their clothes till we got hungry and then come the rumpus when i come to pay the bill they was a regular how and we come mighty near being marched off to the calaboose same's you was they said the bill i offered em first off and all the rest was counterfeit until now brainerd had taken no part in the dialogue but now with a quick glance in my direction he asked Will you describe the man who gave you the money the supposed agent? Camp pondered while he began he was tall as so much as six foot I should say and his eyes were black and big His hair was considerable long and he had a good deal of it on his face in a big bushy moustache He had a slim nose and he wore a big diamond on his little finger Did you notice his hands? Mm, no Well, I did interposed his wife I seen the diamond if twas a diamond his hands was white real big long side of his face and they looked like regular claws such long fingers and pointed nails ah Dave shot me a glance full of meaning now mrs. Camp you seem a very observing woman will you describe the other man the gentleman with the Sabbath school class the woman's head became even more erect And her look more firm and confident than before yes she said at once I can she cast her eyes about her and seeing a vacant chair near her interlocutor the one lately vacated by myself she seated herself deliberately and began he wasn't much to look at about as big as you may be and about the same complected as that gentleman pointing to the sergeant at the desk only his nose was longer and sort of big and knobby at the end, and a little red. I remember he had bigger ears than common, too. They sort of set straight out. His eyes were little, and a sort of watery grey, and his hair was kind of thin and sandy-like. He had some little mutton-chop whiskers, and a little hair, almost tan colour on his upper lip. His mouth was quite big, and I noticed he had two front teeth with gold filling into them. He had gloves on his hands when we see him first, but when we met him afterward, they was off. "'Afterward, you say? Did you meet him after you had discovered that you had been swindled?' I broke in. "'Yes, we—' "'You see,' broke in Adam Camp, "'it was this way. "'We was coming out of midway, "'for we'd been out and to the end, "'as I see the sights. "'And when we got hungry, "'we went to a place a blue coat said was good. "'The Viennie Café, he called it. "'Well—' It was there we had the fuss about the money, and they told us to come here right away and make a complaint. We started and was just coming past that menagerie place when Mariah wanted to stop just afore the place and look at the big lion over the door. A live one, interpolated Mariah. Yes, a live one. Well, standing there, all to once I see that Sunday school fella come out of the door a-picking his teeth. He was right in front of me, And at first he seemed not to see me and was hurrying off dreadful fast But I caught on to his arm and says quick like look here. I want to tell you something for your own good and to swap favors Then he sort of slowed up and asked me to pardon him. He was in haste and getting awful anxious about them boys Then I says right out my friend I'm anxious too and you've got cause to be you and me's been swindled and then he most jumped and asked how swindled Have you broke one of them two-dollar bills yet says I No, says he and then I up and told him the whole story did you tell him you were coming here I asked as he paused a moment no because he got so excited and talked so fast I declare he put it all out of my head again he stopped as if loath to continue but again mrs. Camp took up the parable now father you may just as well out with it you see this chap flew all to pieces so to speak and he was going to have an officer right away he had a letter of introduction from his minister to home to the captain of the columbine police they was related somehow and he would just have them men arrested and then he happened to think that was getting late and time almost for that train with them sunday-school children to come and it put him out awfully but he said that he'd make it his business to see to that and then he made appointment with camp to meet him at half-past ten today and they go together to see the Columbine policeman. She paused and uttered a cackling laugh Wow, well, she concluded camp see that twas getting pretty late So he agreed to it and I didn't say nothing, but arter he gone to meet them boys again I put my foot down to come here fast, and not to wait till maybe the feller get away And finally camp reckoned would be best and so we came some way that feller sort of went agin me towards the last. I don't want to be hasty again, but I sort of feel as if he might be kind of tricky, swell as the rest. It did not take us long to convince the camps that they had been duped all round, and while we had little faith in their ever seeing the Sunday-school feller again, we obtained the promise to keep their appointment with him. And here, Dave Brainerd suddenly muttered an excuse to the two officers and said in my ear, if I am not back in 15 minutes meet me at the administration at four sharp and with a nod to the camps he went hastily out I Felt very sure of his errand he had fancied like myself that smug fearing lest the camps might prove too clever for his wiles Perhaps suspecting the keen-eyed old woman had followed them in order to assure himself Whether it would be safe to keep his latest appointment with them and this indeed Proved to be the case Before the camps left the place we had easily convinced them that their Sunday-school friend and not I had been the confidence man And that if he kept his last appointment with them it would only be to lure them into another trap and a worse one For it would have for its aim the suppression of any and all evidence They might have been inclined to give to the police in convincing the gentle old man and shattering his face in my friend's smug i could see that we had dealt his simple kindly nature a real blow but mother camp was of sterner stuff you needn't worry about me not now she assured me with a vigorous nod after getting into one trap i ain't going to tumble into any more and i ain't going to let him neither not when i'm on hand i've told that man more times than i've got fingers and toes that he was too soft-hearted is feeding tramps and stray dogs and swallowing all the beggar's yarns i guess you needn't worrit maria the old man said with a faint show of spirit things might have been worse i didn't aim to squander a hundred dollars to one lick but i've gotten enough left yet to see the fair and get home on so i guess we may as well be a seeing it a body he's to live live and learn and with this sentiment the pair took their departure a little the wiser and more wary perhaps for the words of warning and advice given them by the officer in charge who had taken their names and address and made a memorandum of their complaint he had smiled slightly when told their street and number and had remarked that at least stony island avenue had the merit of nearness adding the friendly caution don't make boarding-house acquaintances good people and keep on the bright side of the way in going home late whereupon i made a mental note to investigate this same hardly named avenue long before the end of the fair i had cause to thank myself for this mental note and that it was held in remembrance brainerd did not appear at the stipulated time and i was too eager to be out in full sight of that wonder city to remain at the bureau so taking the intramural railway at the nearest station i began to circle in and out among those marvels of genius skill and nineteenth-century enterprise which combined had placed in a time so short as to seem a miracle this city of beauty beside the blue lake michigan and now i began to ask myself why the visitor who had nothing to do but to see this wonder of wonders and had no need to keep one eye upon the passing faces did not see it at least until it grew familiar from that point of view from a seat in an intramural What a kaleidoscopic panorama in taking my place. I had not even noticed the direction in which I was moving I had been seeing such a marvel of glimpses domes roofs the lagoon in the distance a flashing glimpse of the lake through glittering airy turrets trees statues flags Beauty and charm everywhere I had taken a round trip ticket and I whirled on and on until somehow i saw the great glass dome of the horticultural building and a moment later a fleeting view of midway recalled to my mind my own personality and interests as i gazed at it stretching away westward a veritable joseph's coat of a street it was gone and i saw the tall dome of illinois the art gallery in the distance with the lagoon again gleaming through trees to be lost again while roofs windows vistas of streets surrounded me and i could peep in at the windows we were passing and then i heard the cry of the guard and noted the name as we slacked speed at mount vernon station almost upon the roof of the old virginia building i peered out as we drew up to this station in the air and drew back a little as a second train moving in the opposite direction dashed by i am in the rear car and as we move away from mount vernon suddenly i had a vision of someone who must have flung himself from the forward car at the last moment and who was running along the platform and in the direction of the passing train in breathless haste his head bare his hat clutched in his swinging hand it was dave Brainerd. and as we tear around the curve and he is lost to my sight i am brought back to thoughts of business dave has evidently struck a trail Wondering much I stop at the north loop and Standing with the government building to my right and the fisheries with its curving colonnades on my left I gaze off upon the blue and shining waters of the lake and Realize fully for the first time the awful incongruity between all this stateliness and beauty and our mission in its midst a criminal hunt End of chapter six